Guys, guys, it's so great to see you guys. Guys, guys, guys. How are you guys? No? Snapping. <laughs> people, people are like, uh, you know, I think maybe when we started like starting the show more informally, people were maybe bemused and now maybe irritated. I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe I'll throw the theme song in just for good measure. Yeah, right now. All right. Um, we've got uh, we've got some announcements, and then we've got some topics, and um, so we're we're gonna dive right in, and we're we're not gonna waste any time here. So kaching kaching. Um, first off, Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic is happening in October. Uh, at the D Las Vegas. Um, so we did have an important announcement since uh, the last time we spoke here, which is we have a band. A band has been announced for the VIMP after party. So for those that are not familiar traditionally, we will have our main event on Saturday afternoon, followed by some various rumblings. And then um, we have been fortunate enough to have music uh, the last couple times, and um, we have another another go this round. So it, we are going to, in the fabulous downtown Las Vegas Event Center, we are going to be treated to a performance by multi-platinum Grammy-nominated recording artist Daughtry, um, who is, uh, I am sort of vaguely familiar before uh, this all got put together. I know that, uh, I think I know him the way many know him, um, as an American Idol contestant, I am not a big American Idol person, but I was definitely aware of his uh, of his uh, being a, a thing based on that. Um, and he's gone on since then to uh, make a bunch of records and sounds like sell a bunch of them and have some critical acclaim and make some fans. So we're super stoked to be having uh, the, to being able to having another show. Um, that all of the wonderful VIMF attendees will be able to come check out. Um, so should be super fun. Uh, that information is up on the website. I would suggest those that uh, are not familiar, maybe go and uh, fire up your Apple Music or your Spotify or your whatever and, uh, and check them out. So that stuff is out there. Uh, I am not going to sing. Um, uh, Tim Dressen did do some singing of Daughtry songs on his last episode of his show, Five Funny by Midnight. I will not sing because... Yeah, he's good. He's good. It, I, uh, yes, I, can't, I just can't top it. I can't top it. So, Daughtry, not to rush through this announcement, we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, so, Daughtry will be performing as part of our event, the Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic, which is October 16th, 17th, and 18th at the D Las Vegas, downtown Las Vegas, um, VegasInternetMafia.com and at VIMF. In addition to that amazing announcement about Daughtry, we have another announcement from our own Dr. Dave Schwartz. And I remember very clearly um, a, a little while back when we were able to launch his book uh, Grandissimo at our VIMF event. It was pretty damn awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember going to bed that night and thinking to myself, this will never happen again. My, <laughs> this is a, this is a, I have reached the peak. Uh, there will never be a pinnacle this high. But I am so glad to be proven wrong because yesterday, I think yesterday, um, Dave, I wake up and I go on Twitter and I see that you're doing another book. And I'm like, wow, another book. Dave didn't tell me about this and I thought we were friends. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, you are doing another book and you're doing a Kickstarter. So I want you to tell the whole world about it right now. Yeah, this is a book about Atlantic City. It's 
it has its origins in some columns I wrote for about eight years for Casino Connection magazine. Roger Gross was my publisher there and gave me permission to take the columns and use them really as the core, as the basis for a book about Atlantic City's history. And the meta story behind the book is that it's been a rough couple years for Atlantic City and I thought the world and especially the city itself needs to better appreciate its own history and have a better appreciation of how the city has been through a lot of ups and downs in the past. So I had some of the chapters I've already written, did a lot of revisions to them, and also added quite a few chapters to fill in some of the gaps that I hadn't talked about when I was doing the column. So it's a pretty comprehensive history of Atlantic City if you just want to know, well, hey, how did the city become the world's playground, and where does it go from here? Yeah. And so you are, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, planning to sort of launch the book at uh, our event in October coming up. And you've got a Kickstarter campaign. Yes. So let's say that, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I would like to get this book. Or let's say that I just want to, I like Dr. Dave and I'm a big <laughs> fan of Nut Butter and I would like to participate in the Nut Butter Revolution. Uh, how do I do so? What's, what are the details? Yeah, Nut Butter Revolution trending now worldwide on Twitter. <laughs> Or maybe not. <laughs> well, you can go to boardwalkplayground.com and then click the link to the Kickstarter campaign. And the Kickstarter campaign is going to be running through September 8th, I think. And basically, you can get involved at a lot of different levels. You can get a... can't sign the Kindle edition that I can send <laughs> to you, but I can, thanks to the good graces of... The folks at Amazon, I can send a 300-character maximum plain text message along with my <laughs> gift of the really? Kindle version. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pushing the boundaries of technology here. <laughs> Definitely. I'm sure, I'm sure that you could sign somebody's Kindle. Well, I could. There's also a, a program app called Authorgraph that yes. lets you add something, which I'm also, yeah, I'm also a part of that. So if people want to get a digital copy signed, I can do that too. Or if they meet me, I can just write a comment on it, like, hey, blah, blah, blah. So there's ways to kind of digitally sign it. I've also got the physical book, which you can either have mailed to you or pick up at VIMF. Uh, shipping, if you accidentally suggest, if you accidentally took the version of that where shipping is mandatory and you're actually going to be at VIMF, in lieu of or to compensate you for the $6 I won't be spending on the United States Postal Service, I am going to either give you a jar of nut butter or just give you 6 bucks, And you can <laughs> turn that into the 500 dog or put it into a slot machine. doesn't really matter to me what you do with it because I'm just giving it back to you. So, so yeah, that's, so that's, I think it'll be fun. I think people will like it. I, yeah. I had a ball researching the book. And I learned a ton of stuff researching the book, so it's been a lot of fun. Do you sign body parts? <sighs> I think that's that's a judgment call kind of thing. Ah. I think that's where you get in the shades of gray. <laughs> fair enough. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so for those of you out, out there that um, maybe aren't as familiar with Dr. Dave's um, works of, uh, of literature, um, you know, he's done this before, so this isn't some fly-by-night Kickstarter thing. You can rest assured that you will actually get something out of this. As he states in his uh, what could go wrong thing that I assume that Kickstarter makes you do. Yes. Um, it basically says as long as he doesn't get dismembered before this is done, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a sure thing. So it's not like he's inventing 
um, the cure for cancer or something. Uh, this is a this is in in the in the hopper already, more or less. Yeah, uh, so, and if you, you know. it's well, all the writing is done, so I'm just having it proofread now. And if you want to see what the book is like, go to boardwalkplayground.com. If you go on the right side of the page, I've got look inside, and there are three chapters you can read from one of them from the 1860s, one from the about the Traymore, and one of them about the Playboy. Oh, the Playboy, so, that's going to be a good yeah, story. Yeah, so I kind of threw that one, yeah, threw that one up there. So it's, people can see the contents, although some of the chapter titles might change, not totally sold in some of them. But pretty much the book is done. It's just a matter of getting it proofread and indexed. So, I, so yeah. can I buy copies for other people? Because there's two people in my life that I know would appreciate this. Uh, one is uh, current New Jersey governor, Chris Christie. <laughs> I think he definitely needs a copy. And, of course, your former employer and current presidential candidate, Mr. Donald J. Trump. I would like to send copies to each of those guys. Would you sign those for me if I did that? I would, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how much Trump will like, will like the book because it's a pretty straightforward look at what's happened to his casinos there. If he calls you a total loser on TV, I'm sure you'll sell a ton he, of copies. Hey, but so. you know what? I was good enough to work for him, so there. <laughs> and that's that's uh, kind of everybody's coming at me and wanting me to give an opinion on Trump. My opinion I'm is sure. that sure. I, I used this on the radio today. I said, well, he's really tall. Did you ever interact with him at all when you were there? Not directly. There yeah. was one time when I was kind of, I was feeling really good for my, I was feeling really good about myself. It was like four o'clock, started work at three. I'm like, all right, things are cool. Kind of walking my little slot zone, feeling like, all right, I've got everything together. And then I walk around the corner, and he's standing there with a bunch of people, and he's like really tall. And I'm like, ugh, and it kind of scared me. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, didn't really. A couple of times when he was coming, I got detailed to pretty much get all the people, the families kind of camping out on the steps around the casino. Like, all right, you guys have to move, let's go. And also warning the employees, like, okay. Donald Trump is going to be in this building in, in 15 minutes. They're driving him. You know, I got the call. The limo's in the way. We kind of want to sharpen things up. So, yeah, that happened. That was a couple times. But yeah. generally did not deal with him very much. You know, certainly wasn't on the executive level or anything like that. Sure, sure. All right. Well, so uh, I have a question oh, yeah, for no, Dave. Go ahead, Charles. Oh. Dave, what, what number book is this for you? Depending on how you count, if you count the second edition of Roll the Bones as a second book, it's number eight. If you wow. count that as one book, and I count it as a second book because I did all the layout for that, and Chuck did a cover for that, and Amazon says it's a different book, so I count that as two books. So yeah, this could be number eight or seven. So this, so this is book number eight, and, and does that numbering system work with the, the Star Trek theory that only the even number movies are good? <laughs> no, I think they're all good. I think okay. it's more of a... Uh, I think it's more of a season 13, 14 Doctor Who thing, where they're all... Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I got that season right. I'm thinking that's, that's like Tom Baker's first or second season, which, are, which is the ones that really made me a fan, so... Whether yeah, you got it right or not, somebody will complain in the comments. If anybody, yeah, if anybody, if anybody has any... I, what I mean is Hinchcliffe and Holmes, those, those seasons. Well, I'm very excited about your new book. I'm super excited that you are going to launch it at our event. It mm -hmm. will be super fun. Um, so those of you out there, please go and check out Dave's Kickstarter information. We'll, of course, link it up so you can go directly. But um, all that stuff's on the site. And, uh, you know, go contribute and get a book and be happy. 
That's Can I see my one commandment? Thing? Yes, of course. I, I really want to thank everybody who has supported me so far and who has backed it so far. I hit the funding goal on the first day, which is just a really great feeling. You know, you work on something and it's very important to you, but you're really not sure if anybody else is going to actually give a shit. So it's kind of nice to know that they do. Yeah, yeah so that, absolutely. It really no, means a lot to me. shouldn't tell anyone you hit the funding goal. You need all the, Dave needs all the money he can get. Go and fund it immediately. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm actually trying to figure out how to do T-shirts, so ah, some of the extra good. funding, and uh, that is that's my next thing I'm trying to figure out. Let me know if you need a design that looks like a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm super glad that you made your goal, though we want to bump that way up, so please yeah. go and, uh, and contribute and get the book. And um, Dave, congratulations on uh, doing that again. I know, well, I don't know personally, but I have at least some sense of how much work's involved. So uh, it's quite an, quite an achievement. So congratulations. Thanks. And there will be also, there will be Boardwalk Playground postcards and bookmarks of plenty at VIMP for everybody. Excellent. Excellent. So excellent. Another consequence of meeting the funding goal. Very cool. All right. Uh, well, now let's get into the show. Wow. Super excited about that, Dave. It's going to be awesome. Um, super, super stoked that you are gracing us with another book this year. So it's going to be a yeah. lot of fun. He's the best. He is the best. He yep. is the best. Um, so without uh, further ado. I tell you what, hearing all the stuff that you just said about the book, Dave, makes me even more excited for it. Me too. Me too. Yeah, actually. Thanks, guys. Me too. Yeah, very excited. Um, so let's just dive right in. We want to make the most of our time today, which is a little bit limited. So um, let's just start. Uh, I wanted to kick off with, uh, you know, it is August, which is across, you know, all of news media, I think, a somewhat quiet time, right? People don't uh, have big initiatives typically in August. So, you know, it's a little slow, a little chill out action. But um, we still got a few things that we can talk about here. Um, one is regarding the Mirage. Uh, the Mirage is a hotel casino uh, located on the Las Vegas Strip. Um, fairly famous, you know, well known, gold tint kind of thing. Um, full service resort. Full service resort. You know, dolphins, white mm. tigers, Siegfrieds and Roy's. Volcanoes. Um, <laughs> yeah, volcanoes. Well, yeah, sort of volcano. I mean, you know, let's let's be honest. Um, so there was a rumor out there in the world that uh, MGM Resorts International, the current owner of the Mirage, was going to sell it. Um, I believe the uh, cited party was some kind of affiliate of, was it a Starwood affiliate? I wasn't really paying that close attention to the details because I will admit when I first read this rumor, I was a little skeptical. Um, of course, anything can happen. But uh, the Mirage has been rumored to have been sold many, many times. Um, so I guess I've become a little bit jaded when it comes to hearing about this stuff. Uh, but subsequently, we have heard from the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Jim Murren, that um, no, the Mirage is not being sold. Uh, he went on the MGM conference call and said, nope, nope, nope. Um, he he uh, had a few choice words about sources of said news, um, and then he moved on. Uh, you know, he sort of inserted his random, uh, his regular spiel that, you know, if someone walked up with a big enough brief briefcase of money, they would have to consider it, but, you know, they're not out there shopping the place, which, you know, 
at least to me, and I, I want to hear what you guys think, but uh, not a surprise, right? They're investing a bunch of money in improving it. It's uh, a really solid property in the sort of, you could either consider it like the low end of the high end tier or like the high end of the middle tier. Um, it's an it's a, it's a important property in the portfolio. Um, it makes money and, um, you know, strategically located in a really good spot. So I'm not surprised. It seems like uh, MGM seems to be focusing on Nevada assets, especially these days, or the strip assets these days with some of their other sales that they've got going. But, um, you know, Chuck, what did you think? You saw this rumor. You said, gosh, the Mirage is being sold. Wow. <laughs> no, you know, we've. it seems like people still to this to this day can't fathom Mirage and Treasure Island being decoupled. Right. Like they're were sort of conceived as sister properties and as long as Treasure Island has one owner and Mirage has another, I think there will always be Mirage is being sold or Treasure Island is being sold rumors. Uh, so it, I think it's natural that people are going to... Uh, going to make these kinds of snap judgments about rumors for Mirage. But, you know, if you know anything about the kind of business that MGM is involved in, they are, uh, they're a landlord, essentially, and they make money off of renting things out for square footage. They also do co-brands, which is like the Delano Hotel, etc., and they operate the casino. Um, they need the square footage to, uh, to, to, basically make people buy rent with. Uh, MGM, uh, Mirage itself is currently in the middle of a, a pretty substantial renovation of the casino floor. They've redone the cages and a couple other spots and it looks very modern, it looks nothing like the tropical stuff is completely gone, I guess. Uh, they installed new uh, longtime dining partners in there with the Tom Colicchio Heritage Steak. They've got a successful Cirque du Soleil show. Uh, they're probably coming up on time for some room renovations. They're putting the cash into the property. It doesn't really make sense for them to sell it because it seems like they have, this thing is paid off and it's making money. And uh, there's still a lot of upside to be gleaned from the bones, which are very good. They're great bones. Um, in addition to that, uh, MGM Mirage is, is exploring the possibility of doing a REIT which is a real estate investment trust where you split the company in half. The real estate holds this amount. The operations on top of the real estate hold this. Uh, and the profits cycle through the, the real estate holding company, which gets taxed at a lower level. So they just make more money with the same amount of business. Uh, there was activists and investors who tried to force them to do this uh, um, six weeks or just maybe a quarter ago. Uh, and... Murren said recently that they are going to explore this. And the last point is uh, with the price of real estate basically sort of being revalued with the Elon purchase and whatever other things are going on, uh, you know, the price of the parcel is, it wouldn't be cheap, particularly in that location. And uh, the, the proposed buyer in this rumor, Starwood Capital, they're known not for buying things that are uh, marquee and priced as valued. They like to buy things at bankruptcy or uh, things that they know they can squeeze a lot of juice out of. So for many reasons, the deal just didn't, it didn't pass the smell test for me instantly. 
Dave, should MGM sell the Mirage to Steve Wynn, and why would he want to buy it? Sentimental reasons, maybe. <laughs> you know, I think it's a, I think it's a great property. Yeah. Like Chuck said, it has great bones, and it just has that lineage of being a great property that was built by a great design team. So I wouldn't sell it, but if you want to focus on a certain part of the strip, then by all means get the highest price for it. You know, I could see them selling it. I can see them not selling it. There's certainly good arguments to be made either way. At the end of the day, it's a great property that's built by one of the greatest design teams in the history of the business. So it's going to be valuable. Yeah. Uh, do, do you guys get bothered by the dolphins being there? I know uh, there yes. are definitely people that have a, a real big issue with that uh, whole area. Yeah. yeah. Why does that bother you? Just because dolphins shouldn't be living in captivity. Yeah. You know, they're, I don't know exactly the specifics of, uh, of how they're being held there, but, you know, dolphins should, they need to swim large, long distances to be happy and healthy. And having these guys cooped up in a cage is like putting your dog in a crate, you know? Yeah, I'm sort of surprised that that has lasted as long as it has. Particularly uh, with MGM sort of being environmentally active. Yeah, yeah, it seems sort of like a throwback to yesteryear almost. Yeah. Um, so I'm a little surprised it's it's still around, but it uh, it is definitely still a thing. Um, yeah, you know the Mirage has been through uh, many different iterations, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what it, what it ends up looking like once all of these uh, interior changes are done. Um, I will admit, I still miss some of the old, the old pieces. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, looking forward to seeing what they do with it. It definitely has some pretty amazing high roller rooms, too. I mean, everything from their villas to their penthouse suites and whatnot. There's a lot of, like, high-end product there that's pretty, pretty badass. And almost affordable. You know, you can get yourself into a villa for... A pretty decent price, you know, and get to experience what 20 years ago was the pinnacle of opulence. Right. It makes me wonder if 20 years from now I'll be able to book myself into one of Wynn's, uh, you know, apartment villas for, for a reasonable sum. Probably. <laughs> um, well, I, uh, I, it was good to see, or it was interesting to see Murin uh, shoot that down, uh, unsurprising given the timing of their call, but um, yeah. Uh, I guess we can write that one off for now and not uh, be anticipating any big changes. Um, but the, there is a spot down the, down the road a, a ways that uh, is potentially getting um, going to be seeing some other changes. So uh, MGM, the aforementioned MGM, is uh, building a large arena with no parking um, next to New York, New York. And um, it's going to potentially have hockey and, like, Britney Spears, I guess not Britney Spears, like Madonna and, like, the Rolling Stones and other people that, you know, do concerts and whatnot. Um, so that's part of this, or at least connected to, this overall park redevelopment thing, which is basically turning a dirty alley between New York, New York, and Monte Carlo into a multi-use sort of outdoor space with restaurants and stuff. Yep. Um, not at all similar to Link. Very different. Um and so, uh, as part of this, we've been hearing uh, for a while that, you know, maybe there's, there's additional later phases, and we have now have confirmation that 
the uh, the theater at Monte Carlo that is currently used for the Blue Man Group that was for years the Lance Burton Theater is going to be like sort of rebuilt slash massively expanded into a I think it's about five thousand seats give or take oh. um, performing uh, performing center there which will be uh, part of this whole complex um, you know interesting another venue uh, of uh, intermediate size I'm sure will be uh, useful for certain size acts coming through town but. Um, Along with that are, you know, the, the talk of, of Monte Carlo being rebranded, uh, being renamed. Um, and it sounds like uh, they are sort of all but confirming that this is going to happen at some point. Um, so I don't, I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Monte Carlo has had, sort of had this interesting history um, as starting as this joint venture, uh, as it was originally developed, and then sort of like a, a schizophrenic design personality, so sort of Mediterranean, European kind of vibe that uh, has been slowly uh, transformed into, you know, like SBE restaurant outdoor decor situation. Um, and then, of course, fire there caused them to uh, redo the top floors. Um, but, what, you know, what, what should NGM do here? Uh, what's, what's going on with this situation? Do you know, uh, Dave? I do not know exactly what's going on because um, they don't, unfortunately, do not invite me to those meetings. I'll tell you what I think, what I think is probably going to happen is it seems like the renaming is a done deal. Don't really know what the name is going to be, but I'm imagine it would have to have something to do with the fact that they've got this huge entertainment facility that's going up next to it, actually two huge entertainment facilities. So I think that that's going to be something that will have something to do with that. You never well, they know. call it the park. So the Park Hotel? I don't think they can because you've already got the Link Hotel. I, I don't think they're going to go that way. I, you know, there's a lot of possibilities. Do they maybe want to partner with somebody and bring a branded name in there from outside? Possibly. They've definitely done that in other, a couple other properties. Not really sure, but I think it's an, it's gonna, they're going to look at this as this is their opportunity to reach out to the millennials. So I think whatever they do is going to be governed by that. And unless they can find a way to make Monte Carlo the hip, cool, fedora-wearing place to be, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Fedoras are, are probably optional, though. <laughs> so Monte Carlo is, you know, more or less attached to Aria and City Center, like, for all intents and purposes. Um, so definitely uh, an opportunity to sort of uh, wind people through that in a in a more concerted effort. Um, but I mean, Chuck, what do you think? Uh, are, are are we going to see the the Nazarian Towers uh, run by uh, Mr. Sam and his wonderful hotel team, or what? What are we going to see at the Monte Carlo? Like, I don't know. I think they might call it Perth Amboy, or uh, Staten Island, or Liz, or Elizabeth, or uh, you know, that you would make that would make sense for. Uh, who knows? Greenwich, Greenwich Village. I don't know <laughs> what they're going to call it, but it's obvious. You know, when I was when I was in there recently, uh, it's obvious that they they are completely trying to target uh, the cosmopolitan demographic. They've they've even gone so far as to installing this little area next to the restaurant district there. With uh, they have a restaurant district A and B. Uh, they installed a little area with uh, you know. Uh, like uh, ping pong tables mm. and uh, low slung couches and large pieces of wood in the shape of dice <laughs> and what's the game where you roll the you roll the 
uh, it's kind of like shuffleboard, but it's on a table with the Monopoly. Well, yeah. Parcheesi? I don't know. They, but they, they do that. People are sitting around. They're drinking Snapple. They're hanging out, you know, Snapple. waiting. Yeah. The, the area is actually, it's exactly like the stuff in the center of uh, the third floor at Cosmo. But is, is it like, is it like uh, somebody read about that in a book and created their own version of it? Or is it like authentically hip and actually cool? No, it's absolutely, they saw that at the Cosmopolitan and ripped it off. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So they're, they're, I think this is all just kind of a test. You know, they've got the U Show place, which is, which has this air of being sort of hip. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what they're going to call it. I have no idea. You know, the Monte Carlo is sort of a name that means nothing to people, I don't think. Uh, it's always been a forgotten property in a lot of ways. Few people are real dedicated fans Right. Of the Monte Carlo, there's no real destination reason to go there. Uh, it's always been sort of a dormitory for other things and other places to go. Uh, what, you know, what, why would you go there? The Blue Man Group, a show, Lance Burton, what have you? There's not really a hell of a lot. So, yeah. I'll be interested to see if they, ended up, if they end up doing any, uh, you know, significant room upgrades. I remember the last time I stayed there, and it's been a while now. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was just incredibly unimpressive. Yeah. They um, haven't done any renovations to the room in ages. They're yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's like really loud pipes, paper-thin walls, just like, not even just like, oh, the furniture is ugly, um, but just, you know, sort of base infrastructure things, which are a lot harder to fix. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, stuff that makes your stay unpleasant when all you hear is, you know, people running through the hallway at four in the morning and you hear pipes that sound like someone is, you know, burying somebody in the basement next door. Hmm. Um, it, it was not, not good. Um, I'll be curious to see if they even attempt to fix any of that stuff. I don't think that'll happen. I don't see MGM putting the money to, to completely gut a hotel tower. It'll, for, I'll be, yeah, I, I don't you know? disagree with you. I'll be curious to see if this strategy actually works. You know, it's like, it's, you, famously you sort of like can't buy cool, right? You kind of have to like, you either are cool or you're not. Yeah, and um, you know the Cosmopolitan, for all of its flaws, has definitely, I think, um, proven that they have something special in their formula. Um, that you know, I I think it will be really difficult for somebody to pop in and reproduce uh, without it being without it happening organically. You know, you can't yeah. just uh, co- you know copy and paste and have this all work out. Can try. Yeah, well, clearly, clearly they're going to try, and I, you know, for, I think the the park, at least from the the renderings that they've shown, looks cool, right? Looks like a nice spot to mm-hmm. look, go for a little walk and, you know, yeah. stroll around. That's great. I'm all for that, especially when what we had before was like a dirt lot and a road and a sort of semi-service kind of road. I mean, you know, it's definitely an improvement over what was there before. Yeah, the frontage um, of the frontage of Monte Carlo and the new frontage of uh, New York, New York is great. Yeah, uh, I ate at Tom's and sat outside and enjoyed the traffic and the sounds and everything. It was really very pleasant. Yeah, I went to Shake Shack and enjoyed my very overhyped burger and you know <laughs> looked around and I think the park will be a nice a nice addition for sure. I'm yep. less less excited about whatever Monte Carlo turns into. Um, okay, so Monte Carlo Mirage, corporate siblings that. To, uh, will remain that for so long, uh, though they may one of them may be getting a facelift. Uh, we'll have to see what happens. Um, 
So, moving on, moving down, moving on down the road. One of the things I did want to talk about was Boston and what's happening in Massachusetts for... Hello. Sorry this about that. The, I'm going to mute this. This is the center. Um, yes. I wanted to talk about Boston and Wynn because, you know, this has been a problem for a while. So, uh, Wynn Resorts won the concession for the Massachusetts Casino in the Boston area, but ever since then... Uh, even after winning the concession and then winning um, a you know popular vote that attempted to decapitate them, um, <laughs> they are they're having a really hard time with Boston's mayor. He's just you know he's like basically trying to reverse this whole thing and get them to go away, mm-hmm. and so it's been sort of an escalating war of words between um, the company and and the mayor. Uh, I, you know I I what I would and I don't have a good sense of this and you know Dave maybe especially but of course either one of you guys if you know. Like, what is the end game here? What what power does the mayor have to try and get rid of wind resorts? Um, and how is this going to end up? Like, what what's the story here? I don't know, but it seems to me it's this is the kind of thing where if we had a local, they would probably be able to tell you exactly what was going on. But yeah. it seems totally bizarre to me. You have a guy coming into your state who's going to spend... billion cleaning up a former dump site, I think it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So not only is it going to, if somebody came in and spent money just to make that thing an empty lot that wasn't toxic, it would be an improvement. So also going to build something there that's going to create a lot of jobs and bring in a lot of money, and sure, will cause traffic and things like that, but that is the price of development. And the fact that you would go to these lengths to try to harass them out of spending $1.9 billion in your metro area and cleaning up the toxic waste site or whatever it is. I don't know if it's toxic or what it is, but cleaning up that site, it's just, I I don't get it. It doesn't make sense with what I know about the way the world works, but I'm not from Boston, so it probably makes a lot of sense to somebody else. Do you know, either of you guys know, if, like, what power the mayor actually has to stop this, if any? Like legal power? No. I, you yeah. know, I, I think what he's driving for is to get the surrounding part of Boston that would be impacted to have to also approve the deal, uh-huh. which they don't right now because the Everett, it's in Everett. Right. So it's, but it, it is pretty weird. It's, and I, it's, a, I just don't uh, understand how you can have people come in and you would try to get people to, to invest in your state if this is what you do, when they've already spent millions of dollars and they want to spend billions, well, one point something billion dollars, and okay, we're going to do this to you and make allegations and put you through the ringer. I, I don't get it. I just don't uh, get it. There's only one reason why. It's money. If this thing is in Everett, and I don't know the details, I'm just supposing. If this thing is in that little slice between the bridge and Everett and not exactly in the Boston city limits, they figure, well, look, we're right on, you're right adjacent here. You're going to use up all of our roads. You're going to use up all of our this, that, and the other in infrastructure. We want a piece of the pie. So they're going to basically obstruct uh, the process as much as possible in order to get, we want 1%, we want 5%, we want whatever percentage piece of Everett's going to get to go into our pockets, the city pockets. It's, it's got to be just a play for taxes. Yeah, possibly. It would make sense. I mean, I, 
I uh, I would love to sort of understand the argument because it's just it feels like uh, you know the company went through the process, they got awarded the uh, the license, and they ha even had the vote. Like they've jumped through all of these hoops, and um, it does uh, you know still all of the all of the pushback. And my understanding, my suspicion um, was the same in that I don't think that that uh, that the mayor can like single-handedly stop this, right? He's mm -hmm. got to use other mechanisms um, to try and convince people that it's not a good idea and there's a, a fair amount of work that they would have to do. But it's just, it's fascinating to see the back and forth. And, you know, a lot of people have asked, well, when will Wynn have had enough? You know, when is he going to say basically say, like, fuck this, uh, I'm out of <laughs> here. Which, you know, you could imagine them doing. They did it in other places, right? Remember Philadelphia was going to be a thing? Mm -hmm. um, they basically said, nope. Now, of course, this has gone, on, this has gone a lot further than those other, that, than at least that situation. But, you know, I guess theoretically it could happen. They could decide it just wasn't worth it and they were going to pull out. Well, it's also a game of attrition. You know, what Trump did to win Atlantic City when Wynn wanted to come in with LeJardin was he fought him and fought him and fought him and tied him up on the courts. And by the time they finally got cleared to build there, Wynn sold the company. So Wynn never did build in Atlantic City after, you know, that whole, which was going to be a really big deal. And he was very committed. So at some point maybe they're just trying to run the clock out against him and figure, well, we'll wait, and then some other development opportunity will come along, it'll be a better use of the company money, and they'll, and they'll go away. But again, I don't know why you'd want to, want to do that. The other thing about Wynn is that he's been a really good sport in Massachusetts. Remember when they made him redo his design? So yep. they said, yeah, we, you know, us state bureaucrats, we think we know casino design better than you and Roger Thomas and DeVoyder Butler. So it's, and he was a pretty good sport about that, too. We you don't want, want the square one that looks like a perfume bottle. We want the swoopy one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was and he was cool with one. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's kind of fascinating to see the whole thing go down. But uh, I would love to get somebody that really, really knows about the details to weigh in. I mean, I read the news stories about them, but it just, it just feels like there's got to be another level here that uh, needs to be explored. I don't know. It's, it's it's interesting. I I predict that this you know that when will get his casino. The question is you know when I guess. But we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Um, I uh, in the meantime, I guess we get to sort of watch them battle each other and complain about stuff in in the meantime. So, um, there was a post. There's a great Twitter account um, out there. Is it Classic Las Vegas? I believe. Is that right, Dave? Chuck? Am I right? Classic yeah, classic Vegas. Vegas. Classic yeah. Vegas. Is it classic Vegas? Yeah, okay. I'm going to have yeah, to get the right thing to put in the show notes. But uh, the gist of the account is, and I don't know who runs this, and maybe one of you guys does, but um, I get the uh, impression that it's uh, a gentleman that um, has been around for a while and has seen things and has, uh, whether, I'm not really sure where all this stuff comes from, but has access to at least a pretty significant archive of, uh, photos and whatnot um, of Las Vegas over the years and likes to post stuff and has interesting little photos of, of places that, um, you know, sort of nooks and crannies that aren't popularly photographed, so like little stuff that you may not have ever seen before, even if you're fairly interested in this sort of thing. Um, so he's often posting uh, stuff that he thinks is cool. And this week was a post about um, Treasure Island. And so this was a sort of before and after kind of side-by-side -side photo of 
the original lobby at Treasure Island and the lobby as it exists today. And I think, uh, you know, basically the post that went along with it was like, you know, what do you guys think about this? I know I have an opinion. What do you guys think? Um, and I looked at that, and I, I definitely commented on it, and I would love to hear uh, what you guys think because I think it's sort of a fun topic, right, especially when you can compare something side by side. And this goes along with what we were saying earlier about the Mirage. I sort of had waxed nostalgic about the uh, about the or- Mirage's original interior design, and uh, this is a similar thing. So, y- you know, you look at Treasure Island especially – which has been significantly dethemed, right? I mean, it started off. It started off like at maybe a nine or a ten on the themometer. Like it was just <laughs> like it was pretty gnarly hardcore. Like uh, maybe a little bit too gnarly when it first opened. Um, and you know, they I think they sort of scaled it back a little bit to like yeah. a seven or an eight. But MGM then, you know, when they came along and took over, they they probably ratcheted it back to like a two. Um, so now it's like a generic hotel, ye old hotel. Um, and I looked at these photos, and it just like I was like, yeah, man, this, this, this it's a damn shame. I, I really wish uh, I missed that old Treasure Island. I remember going to the, the let's see, it was there was the Gold Bar and the Swashbucklers Bar. Say that five times fast. And bar. and they had you know like uh, the fake gold doubloons everywhere, and like the dude in the silly pirate costume that would give you your tequila. I mean, it was it was awesome. It was to- it was like totally lame, but it was awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, all of that stuff is gone. And uh, it, this was a reminder of, uh, of how fun that was and how the fun, is, the fun has stopped, as they say. <laughs> um, but uh, I, would, I don't know. I would love to – I hope you guys saw this photo. If not, you can sort of mentally project, I'm sure. Yeah. But I'm just curious what you guys think. I mean, you know, is this – we're seeing a swing back maybe a little bit, right? Resorts World is going to be super heavily themed. Um, are we going to find a new normal? Is this just a, a big historical cycle that we run through every 20 years or so? I'm looking at the picture right now. It is classic Las Vegas. That's the Twitter account. I'm looking at it right now, and I want to share a little epiphany I had yesterday at SLS, and my friend Oliver was there for this, so Oliver, if you're listening, you know what's coming. Wynn's properties have this feeling of permanence and that they're a place and that you're in a place Whereas a lot of other places, it's their places that you kind of move through. And I feel that's kind of the change. Looking at the 1993 picture, it just somehow seems more solid to me. Even though you've got the, it's, it's supposedly kind of kitschy and whatever, it feels more solid looking at that. Then the other, the newer picture looks like this is a space that you move through. And 1993, like this is a space that surrounds you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I buy that. Sure. I I don't know. I I think uh, MGM sort of swept swept in, and they're like, oh, well, we're gonna like sort of class this place up. I think I assume was like their their thought process. Um, but uh, you know, it's just it's just not anywhere near as cool. Chuck, I, I know you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Dave. No, I just think it's it's a, they're going for a totally different sensibility. Yeah. I, Chuck, I know you were a, were a big uh, Imperial Palace fan back in the day. I sort of feel yeah. like this is connected to that as well. Oh, well, possibly, yeah. You know, the, uh, the Imperial Palace, for all of its faults, which uh, is primarily the smell <laughs> and the density of the smoke, it was, uh, you know, you, you could find a corner there. You could find a nook and an alley and a spot. You know, whether it was the video poker bar, which is now by where the cage is, or 
uh, the, the corner where there was some slot machines, which is now where the the uh, purple zebra is, or other bits and pieces on the casino floor. You could really find some holes there. Now it's just just like what Dave said, it's it's kind of transient in spirit and feel. You just don't want to, you don't really want to spend much time there. Uh, and I'm I'm looking at this this photo right now, and there's things about each photo that I find fascinating. And if you're listening back and you look at this, uh, you look at the Treasure Island photo. Uh, obviously, there's a restaurant there. There's a stand for, I imagine, a hostess. And right next to that stand is this Moroccan vase, probably about a five-foot-tall Moroccan vase, and that could be what Roger Thomas described on this show to us, the booty <laughs> of, of their bootyectomy. It's like these things, this, this is what you might find in the ballast of a ship, that things <laughs> that, that had been stolen. There was uh, all these grand, uh, grand chandeliers with skulls on them, and uh, like around the cage you walked up in that area and just there was things in every right. corner that were just phantasmic to stare at. And you look in the lobby here, like that polished marble floor, you know, right now it's just gleaming and shining and there are lights posted, there's like sconces, there's artwork, there's just all this gloriousness and and the ceiling is is uh, is uh, shapes the... the uh, the molding in the ceilings shapes along with the curve of the room and the way you're supposed to walk. And then you look at the other side. Now there's a, a stand with a sign on it. Uh, that open area is now a bell desk. So the view has been, the sense of space has been completely clo closed off. And the lobby, that beautiful marble floor, that gleaming marble floor is now covered with carpet and a rope rodeo. There's no rope rodeo in the old 1993 version. Uh, the front of the registration desk, the inlaid artwork is now gone. Uh, there's just so much, the lighting is very, it could just be the photo, but the lighting is very blasé, and, and the, the shapes of the lines in the ceiling don't really match the path of the walkway. So it's there's kind of a, a disconnect there, like you're walking into a, a trapezoid. So there, there's lots of things going on here in terms of design that just make it feel more harder at the same point as harder and, and dirty. Carpet is dirty. Even if you keep it clean, it just feels dirty and dusty. There's a lot of problems with what they've done there. And I, who knows what percentage of this is MGM. They did try and sexify the place when they changed the name right. to TI and as part of all this stuff. But, you know, there's, there's just some general problems here. I, I, and it's not to say that the 93 version, to me, is aesthetically perfect, because it's not. There are issues here. Like the mirrors could probably, I don't know, you have to check the feng shui expert whether or not you want to have a mirror above head when you're checking into a hotel. It seems kind of odd to me, but, uh, you know, who knows? Phil Ruffin's probably going to tear the whole thing out and put in a all-you-can-eat shrimp bar in there anyway, so... <laughs> I mean, you know, I think to be fair, the um, the '93 photo, I, I'm fairly certain, is a promo photo that was like taken mm -hmm. under perfect lighting conditions. Right. Um, or the other one is clearly like someone's cell phone just walking randomly through the place yeah. now. Um, so uh, that I'm sure has some bearing. But you know, I looked at this and I was I remembered Treasure Island was um, when I turned 21 was the first place I stayed as an adult Las Vegas visitor. Mm. Um, I remember going to the 
cheesy gold bar and getting some drink that was gross that the guy was definitely trying to kill me with. Um, <laughs> but it was fun, and I totally, uh, totally miss that. And so it is, uh, looking at this stuff just reminded me that uh, it was, it was uh, you know, was a certain way, and now it's all gone. It makes me sort of sad. But they're going to, listen, let's say they do this exact same thing to the Monte Carlo. Will you ever miss the Monte Carlo? No, uh-uh. I will not. I will not. I'm going to miss I, that. I'm going to miss the buffet. Not for the food, but just because it was such a total time capsule of the 90s. I, I always kind of liked the Monte Carlo. I don't, so I've never, I thought, you know, Treasure Island, despite um, paraphrasing Roger Thomas, I believe he was sort of like, yeah, it's sort of the one I look back on. I'm not so sure. Um, but, uh, I, you know, uh, yes, super kitschy. But I always I thought it had a certain charm if you sort of embrace that part of it. Uh, and it was, you know, it was obviously designed, well designed. In, in terms of, like, within the constraints that were set up to create it, it was very well designed inside of what was required of the people that were designing it. And um, so, you know, I've never really felt that way about the Monte Carlo. It seemed like sort of a box of slots in the sort of Mandalay tradition. Yeah. But um, I, so I never, I, you know, I, I, I felt nothing walking into the Monte Carlo where uh, Treasure Island was, you know, felt fun. I missed the fun. <laughs> the fun stopped. The fun stopped. <laughs> So I'll post, make sure I post the photo in the show notes. But it's, you know, I, the account in general, if you're a Twitter user and you're not following this guy's account, I would uh, recommend it because there's all kinds of interesting stuff in there. I definitely see photos in that, in that uh, Twitter feed that I don't recognize, which, you know, I've been uh, paying attention long enough that, that is, that's usually rare. But he definitely has stuff that, uh, that I've never seen. So it's really cool. Um, okay. Uh, we had a semi-high-profile chef leave win. You know, Bartolota has been – was one of the opening restaurants. was heavily touted as, I think, one of the only places in North America that flew in certain kinds of, uh, certain kinds of seafood from Italia and uh, the Mediterranean region. So Paul Bartolotta, the uh, eponymous chef, is, is leaving. He's going back to Chicago or something. I mean, it's sort of like uh, – seem, that part seemed a little anticlimactic. But uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, that restaurant's been, you know, I think somewhat iconic for Wynn, right? It got a semi-recent redo, um, which makes me wonder if, like, they didn't really see this coming. Like, why would they spend millions of dollars redoing the, the interior if they were going to potentially have a new chef with a new menu and that kind of thing? Um, I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, we've seen, as you might expect, since the, since the opening of Wynn Las Vegas in 2005, a, a fair amount of turnover in the original chefs that opened the place, but um, Bartolotta was one of those that had stuck around. Uh, I was a little, I will admit, I was a little surprised to read this in one, in one sense. I mean, I guess you can't expect anybody to be around forever, but he sort of seemed like uh, one of the places that uh, will, w- would be there for a long time. And you look at a restaurant like Picasso at Bellagio, you know, it's still there, it's, and it significantly predates Wynn. So, I don't know, I was a little surprised. I have eaten there a few times and always enjoyed it. I, um, I, will, I will miss the place. Ten years, man. It's a long time. Mm-hmm. Maybe his contract is up. Didn't want to yeah. renew it. Maybe yeah, they I mean, redid the restaurant like in advance of negotiations. Like, I, you could imagine all kinds of reasons. I sort of assumed that if they knew that they were going to be potentially changing stuff up, they would have delayed a remodel just to keep their options open. But um, who knows? Uh, you know, 
It, it, the, the uh, where is he going now seems a little bit odd, and that is like it's not to some other big restaurant or whatever. He's like sort of going back to the Midwest to open up franchises of his place. I don't know. It seemed a little bit weird, but whatever the circumstances are, I don't really care. I um, but I will I will miss miss the joint, and it's a it's a nice place to go sit out on a little mini lake they've got there, and uh, have some very expensive seafood that they charge you for by the ounce. <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, I know we've got, uh, we're quickly running out of time here. I'm hoping that we can, uh, touch, uh, very quickly on, well, we'll, we'll touch on this and we'll see how it goes. And if, uh, we need to adjust, we can. Um, Dave, you wrote a feature for Vegas seven, um, talking about, uh, 1955 and, uh, it was not about back to the future. It no. was about Las Vegas, though you should have worked in a Back to the Future reference now that I think about it. I'm very disappointed in you. Yeah, me too. Only 4,000 words to work with, but yes, that didn't make it. And I wasn't even thinking of that the whole time I wrote it either. It's funny. Yeah. Why don't you tell us what you wrote and why it's an interesting topic? Sure. To me, it's interesting because this was the first time that Las Vegas really hit adversity. So they opened four or five new casinos and pretty much all of them go bankrupt within the first summer, practically. So they don't even get through the year. So they're suddenly everybody says, oh, my God, what's going wrong? What's wrong with Las Vegas? And this is the stick that the people who have been agitating for the convention center finally use to convince everybody that they need to get together. And the hotel owners and the motel owners need to bury the hatchet and work together to get a convention center because otherwise the city is not going to go anywhere. And that the failure of the 1955 new hotels, plus the fact that you have the Stardust and the Tropicana and the Hacienda in the pipeline is what convinced them to do it. So this profoundly shaped the city. I think um, I would definitely recommend reading the article. Um, I think a couple things – I thought a couple things jumped out at me as I was reading. One was not sort of realizing the history of the convention center and the visitor's authority and how that got put together. So I thought that was very interesting, given especially like how important a presence it is today, right? I mean it mm -hmm. sort of just feels like it's always been there. But, of course, it came from somewhere. Um, and so it was interesting to, to read that. Um, and also – just to get a sense of the, again, the sort of cyclical nature of things, right? How many times has Las Vegas been pronounced dead? Uh, how many times have we seen, you know, whether it's bankruptcies or other financial issues? This was, uh, you know, maybe one of the first, and we've looped through that a bunch of times since then, right? But it's interesting to see that, uh, you know, hysteria is alive and well even back in 1955. Yeah, yeah, and it shows also the need to constantly reinvent and constantly question what Las Vegas is doing. So I think for the, for the folks here, especially the people involved in the hospitality business, especially as they're re-envisioning the North Strip, I think it's, it's something they should check out. What were the hotels that, we, that, were, that you were writing about? Okay, I'm doing this from memory. So the New Frontier, which was mm -hmm. definitely not the last frontier. This is the New Frontier. The Riviera, the Dunes, the Moulin Rouge, the Royal Nevada... And I think that's it. And so those are the ones. And the Desert Spa was the failed one. There was a couple of other failed ones. Desert Spa actually opened as a hotel, but never got their casino open because they ran into a lot of problems. And with the, with the places that we you know, now know went on to open and have varying degrees of success, I mean, what, what was the problem? Was it mismanagement? Was it um, bad timing, undercapitalization? Like, what was the issue? 
a mix of all of them. So a lot of it was undercapitalization; they just didn't have enough money. A lot of it was, was people who were not who people who were not familiar with the gaming industry and casinos and how to run them. So there was probably some skimming going on, maybe a little bit in in excess of what there should have been. And I think they also didn't really plan for a crowded market. They figured, well, it's Vegas. If you open up a casino, everybody's going to come. It's going to be great. Well, not always. So I think it was a combination of a lot of things. And I'm seeing there's definitely some parallels with the 2007, 2008, 2009 crash and what happened there. So it, um, it's, it's, you sort of imagine, like, immediately previous to this happening – uh, people reading about you know Las Vegas being this boomtown, so people come out and they just sort of assume that it's going to work out, right? So you get a bunch of people that n- aren't really experienced, haven't done this before, and you know some of them make make it work, and some of them have a lot more trouble doing so. Yeah, you know, a lot of folks say, well, I'm really big. I've done a lot of theatrical booking, so I'll be, you know, we'll have the theatrical booking guy be in charge of the entertainment, and we've got a Miami hotel guy and a restaurant guy, so it'll go really great, and we'll hire somebody who knows what they're doing in gaming, and it turns out maybe they didn't know what they were doing. The other really cool thing about this is that you had this kind of, they experimented with the cross-ownership of properties, so the Sands took over the Dunes, Mm -hmm. and the New Frontier took over the Royal Nevada, but that did not work well. So if that had worked, you probably would have seen consolidation happening a lot, a lot quicker than it did. So it's really interesting that the consolidation failed in 1955. Huh. What, uh, if you were going to sort of draw a, draw a line from there to here, is there anything that you would suggest that today's operators heed in this environment or are the worlds just too different to uh, to do that no it's really similar you had a, the same thing where all this supply was hitting the market and everybody knew it was going to be too much but they were so locked into it that nobody could back down and they just had to figure out how to deal with it and the way they dealt with it was they had to make the market bigger and that happened when the convention center opened and they started getting bigger conventions so really it's you know if you've got a problem with too much supply it's actually exactly what they did during the recession like hey there's too much supply all of a sudden okay well in the short term we're going to lower room rates and that'll get people in but in the long term we're going to add more non-gaming attractions so it's it's a very similar process and probably if you looked close enough you'd see that same process happening at other times and there was similar crisis I wonder how much. Uh, I wonder, you know, if maybe other other jurisdictions like, uh, say, Atlantic City could have uh, taken heed of this maybe a little bit earlier, and maybe they'd be in a different spot today. Yeah, I wonder. It's too bad there's not any book length uh, <laughs> meditation on that kind of thing. I, absolutely, it is someday. Too bad. It's too someday. Bad. <laughs> yes, you too can make this happen, as as we uh, discussed at the top of our show. So. Yes. Um, uh, Chuck, I don't know if you've had a chance to take a look at this article or not, or if you want to throw any questions to Dave, but I would definitely recommend it to the folks out there because um, I thought it was really fascinating. I put my chips on that. Everything Dave writes is great. I have not had a chance to read it quite yet. It's a safe bet, I would say. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. As I mentioned up top, we are uh, doing a short, shorter one today, so I will uh, let you all at home cry, cry, cry. Though I did read some comments from people um, saying that they thought we were boring and terrible. So I yeah. guess those people won't be bored or won't be crying. So for those people, you know, sorry. 
Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, to uh, wrap things up today, as we normally do, we will talk a little bit about uh, some recommendations, some sure bets, some stuff that we think that you people out in the world might enjoy. Um, they may be related to casino-y type stuff, and they may not be. It's sort of our opportunity to share stuff we think is cool that we've uncovered. Um, so I'll go around and see if you guys have anything that you want to share. Uh, Chuck, you got anything for us today? I certainly do. Uh, I'm a fan of the music, as you guys know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm a fan of a lot of bands that go out on tour, and they play different kind of music every night. They don't play the same set list, and they play stuff different. And there's this app on your phone. You can have it on your desktop, too. It's called Mixler, M-I-X-L-R. And uh, people create channels, and then you can stream music from whatever their channel is. So let's say you're going to see a concert tonight, whoever that is. You take your phone, you fire up the Mixler app, and you broadcast the concert from your phone. So you just hold your phone in your hand, keep your fingers away from the mic, hopefully you don't talk too much, and you can listen to the... Your concert will go out on the internet through your Mixler channel, and then folks can listen to it. So... You know, the days that I couldn't go see The Grateful Dead, I listened to the concert live streaming via this Mixler app. And there's a bunch of other bands that I follow, and you find people who are at the show, and they're streaming it via Mixler. So it's pretty cool and pretty awesome, and uh, you can broadcast stuff too. So it's kind of like Periscope for audio. Cool. Yeah. Is, is it banded ARIA? <laughs> That's a good question. It probably is. What are, what are you going to listen to there, though? Right? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying. They seem to like to ban cool technology stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, cool. I will put a link to that in there. It's nothing I was not familiar with, so thanks for sharing. Um, Dave, do you have anything for us today? I do. It's Excellent. Some, something that we're probably all familiar with, but I just think it needs that extra saying, hey, this is great thing to read and that is the outsider's guide to las vegas by tim dressen it's i'm i'm still reading it i'm savoring it i'm going through slowly so i can savor the book it's a it's a really great book and kind of like you with finding the vegas pictures and stuff like that it's usually reading about vegas is kind of a busman's holiday for me because it's what i do eight hours a day so it's you know at the end of the day when i have 10 minutes before i fall asleep. The last thing I want to do is read about Vegas and room rates and (laughs) renovations, that kind of stuff. But Tim is such a good writer that it's actually pleasurable for me to read in my, for leisure and entertainment, what I study for, for a living. So I, I really like the book. It's, it's really great. He just nails so many things. So it's, I'm, I'm a big fan. Totally agree. Um, it's a great book. Uh, it, he, you know, he's, he's a very funny guy. And what I, what I told him was uh, I really felt like I could sort of hear his voice as I was reading it. It's very much written in his, in his voice. And those of you that listen to 500 by Midnight will know what that means. Um, and he definitely doesn't shy away from expressing himself when, <laughs> uh, when he needs to. So it's super fun read. Um, I'd also totally recommend it. I ditto all of what you guys say. I'm going to put three, four, and five times odds on all of that. <laughs> yes, not at win Las Vegas. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, excellent. So I have yeah. something else that I wanted to recommend, which was... Uh, Snapple? Like, Snapple. I, you know, I, used, <laughs> I remember when Snapple first came out. It was you know, okay. I thought it was okay. I mm. sort of forgotten about Snapple, but apparently it's still a thing. It is. 
Yeah. Um, we had a, a, a listener write in um, with uh, something that I thought was interesting. So um, this gentleman is uh, a Las Vegas local. has been around for a long time. And um, he has actually created iOS apps himself. So he was a, a table games dealer for a long time and decided that uh, it would be nice if the dealers of the world had some kind of tool that they could use to help practice, right? So you, we've all probably been at tables with, with dealers maybe at some of the break-in places downtown that, you know, need uh, – that are maybe new to the game. And some of the math can be a little bit complicated and the rules are uh, expansive. And so um, they uh, maybe need a little bit of extra practice. And this is a tool designed to help them do that. And, uh, you know, it sounds like uh, a, a fun thing. And um, I'm always appreciating uh, people out there making cool apps that are gambling-related. Um, you know, perhaps uh, less applicable to the average Joe, but if you're super into gambling, you may find this interesting too. So I'm going to go ahead and recommend these. He's got two out right now, one for roulette and one for blackjack. Um, he says that... Uh, He's also working on crafts, and I believe um, these are for the iPhone, but he's also planning on porting them to Android. Um, and he was nice enough to give away some promo codes. So what I'm going to do after the show is tweet out some of these codes. It'll be sort of first come, first serve. Um, but uh, if the code hasn't been used, you can use it to get a free copy. And if not, I would recommend you go check it out either way. He's, they're both available for sale, and he also has a bundle if you want to get both apps. You save a couple bucks that way. Mm. So um, I would recommend them both. Uh, I'm going to post the links in the show notes so you guys can find them. Yeah. Uh, searching stuff on the App Store is kind of a nightmare. So uh, instead of relying on that, I'll just link to it directly. But his website is learningtodeal.com. So uh, Alan was nice enough to send that stuff, and uh, we appreciate it. It's yeah. a fantastic thing, you know. I don't know if you guys have ever had, like, casino night at your house and tried yeah, to be the dealer. Right. Sometimes things can get hairy, particularly with craps. You're trying to keep track of everybody's bets and do all the math and stuff. It's, uh, you know, it can be a little, a little tough. Yeah. So whether or not you, uh, you know, want to start a new career as a dealer in Vegas or whether or not you just want to have some friends over and play it like the big kids do, yeah. Um, you can use these to uh, to get it all dialed in. Or maybe you could just become an expert and then school the dealer the next time you go to Vegas. Or if you want to become a start your own illegal casino in, <laughs> in your basement. Exactly, exactly. Just don't tell the American Gaming Association, right, Dave? That's correct. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, we'll be posting those codes. And thanks again to Alan for, uh, for providing those to us. It was very nice of you to do so. Um, all right, that's it for today. Please rate the show on iTunes. Uh, someone told me that was a good thing, so we keep telling you to do it. Um, you can leave a comment, VegasGamePodcast.com, along with the episode. Um, for those of you out there that grouse about certain things, you know, that's fine. You don't have to love the show all the time, but if there's uh, something we could be talking about that you're, we're not or somewhere something we can do better, just, you know, let us know. Don't just complain silently. Come tell us. Yeah. We, yeah. Will, we, wanna, we live to serve. Um, you can also reach us on Twitter at Vegas Gang is the show's account and uh, I will now go around the table and ask you guys where people can find you if they are so inclined so Dr. Dave if people want to contact you to ask you about your book or whatever that may be where can they find you they should go to boardwalkplayground.com excellent All right, Um, and we'll also link that up in the show notes and uh, you guys can go back and re-listen to the stuff at the top of the show if you have any questions about how to get in on that action um, Chuck Monster, where can people find you? People can find me at LasVegasOutsidersBook.com. 
Excellent. Yes, that was a great book you wrote. It was very good. Yeah. I didn't write it. I read it. Oh. Uh, of course. Um, yes, you can find uh, my me, my me, my me <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, at Hunter, at H-U-N-T-E-R is uh, my me on Twitter. Um, thank you, guys. Have a great week, weekend. Boo-doo-doo-doo.